0: patrons this month's full episode is going to be about the Katie cabin murders where a woman her two children and their friend were brutally murdered but who did it July 1979, Glenna Susan Sharp, also known as Sue, left her abusive husband and moved her and her five children to Northern California to live near her brother, Don. She originally rented a small trailer that had belonged to her brother in Quincy, California, but that November, they were able to move into a house or rather a cabin in a rural Sierra Nevada community called Ketty. The cabin was larger than the trailer they had lived in, so they were really excited about you know moving in. Sue lived there with her 15-year-old son, John, 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, 12-year-old daughter, Tina, and her two younger sons, Rick, who was 10, and Greg, who was 5. It's a lot of kids. A lot of kids. And the cabin itself only had two bedrooms, but Sue and her daughter shared one room and the younger boys shared the other. And John had actually moved into a room in the basement, but it could only be accessed from the outside. So the cabin's doors were typically left unlocked so that he could get inside the home and use the bathroom or do whatever he needs to, which is rule number one, lock your doors. Yep. Now, Sue, being a single mother, received a small income of $250 from the Navy, which her husband had been in the military, so she was receiving a stipend from it, food stamps, and had a part-time job at the Quincy Elks Lodge. She had also enrolled in a California Education Training Act program that gave her a small stipend as well. I mean, she's a single mother. She has five kids. She's trying to just... Anything she can do. Anything she can do. But because of the program, Sue had been in a topping class at Feather River College and had actually had class with fellow neighbors Marilyn and Martin Smart. Well, that was convenient. Yeah. And I'll tell you why that's important in a little while. Now, the Smarts lived across the lane from them in Cabin 26, where they lived with their two sons and Martin's friend, John Bobidi. That just says Joe. He was also known as Joe. (laughs) I got this. (laughs) Now, on April 11th, 1981, at around 1130 a.m., Sue, Sheila and Greg drove from their friend's home to pick up Rick, who had had a baseball tryout in Quincy. And on the way, they happened to see John and his friend, 14-year-old Dana Hall Wingate, hitchhiking from Quincy to Keddie. And, you know, it's her kid. She says she picked him up. Right. I mean, and about two hours later at 3.30, John and Dana hitchhiked back to Quincy and were seen in the downtown area around the same time. But eventually they came They came back home. I mean, they just hitchhiked back home, I guess. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Hiking is so scary. But it's, it's the 80s and Keddie wasn't too far from Quincy but like, I don't know, I just imagine a oh. 15-year-old kid hitchhiking. Right. Ugh. So that night, Sheila had decided to stay the night with a neighboring family, which were the Seabolts. And I believe they were in cabin 16, but it was adjacent to their home. Right. I mean, it wasn't far. Nearby. Yeah. Now, Sue stayed at home with Rick, Greg, and their friend, Justin Smart, who is Martin and Maryland's, one of their sons. Okay. And... Sheila finally left the house at about 8 to go to the Seabolts. And at about 9.30, Tina had returned home from the Seabolts. She had been watching TV and then just decided to come home. Now, Sue is at home with her sons, Rick, Greg, and their friend Justin and her daughter, Tina. Now, eventually, like I said, John and his friend Dana come back, too. So they're going to be all at home. And Sheila is at the Seabolts. Now, on the morning of April 12th, this is around 7 a.m., Sheila leaves the Seabolt. She's coming back home to Cabin 28 and found the dead bodies of her mother, Sue, her brother, John, and his friend, Dana, in the living room. Oh, my God. Yeah, They had been bound with medical tape and electrical cords. Naturally, of course, Sheila runs back to the Seabolt's home. And Jamie Seabolt arrived back to Cabin 28 and found Rick, Greg, and James in an adjacent room, unharmed. And they initially thought they just slipped through the incident. And he pulled them from a window and brought them back to their house.
1: So they wouldn't have to see the right. murder yeah. stuff.
0: Now, unfortunately, Jamie admitted to coming in briefly through the back door to see if there was anyone alive. But this could have potentially contaminated some evidence. Who they didn't find was Tina. She was missing. Oh, no. Yeah. Now, Sue, John, and Dana's murders were extremely violent. There were two bloody knives and a hammer found at the scene. Uh, One of those knives, which happened to be a steak knife, had been bent about thirty degrees. Oh my god! In the way I'm assuming it had been stabbed into them.
1: Yeah, that's what I was picturing. Yeah,
0: blood spatter indicated that all three of the murders had taken place in the living room, like they were all together. Mm -hmm. Sue was found lying on her side near the living room sofa and was nude from the waist down. She had been gagged with a blue bandana as well as her own panties and they had been taped into her mouth. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. She had been stabbed in the chest and her throat had been stabbed horizontally. In fact, the wound went through her larynx and had nicked her spine. Oh my God. Yeah. And on the side of her head, there was an imprint that matched the butt of a Daisy 880 power line bb pellet raffle. so she had also had some blunt force trauma and the autopsy revealed that she had died from the knife wounds and the blunt force trauma
1: yeah
0: yeah her son john's throat had been slashed he also suffered some blunt force trauma to his head caused by a hammer the autopsy revealed that he had died the same way as his mother by the knife wounds and the blunt force trauma dana had multiple injuries and had been manually strangled to death uh, I wonder if maybe he had some fight. It, it's um, so like they were all killed,
1: kind of the same, but also
0: differently. Yeah,
1: like I don't know.
0: For him to be strangled after they did the same thing to the other two, like it feels like maybe he fought back or something. Or maybe know.
1: he was the first one, and or everyone maybe was, was asleep. One. I don't. Well, they were all in the living room.
0: Well, see, I thought maybe they killed the first two, and then and then maybe he saw it, and he was. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But he also had some blunt force trauma from a hammer, but autopsy revealed that he had actually died from the asphyxiation. The home showed no sign of forced entry, and police discovered that Tina's jacket, shoes, and a toolbox containing various tools were missing from the home. The home's telephone had been taken off the hook, and the cord was cut from the outlet. The drapes had also been drawn. However, I don't know if that's actual evidence or just, I mean, it was not Tom. Yeah. They may have just closed the curtains. Locals and neighbors recalled seeing a green van parked at the sharps home at around 9 p.m. But no one knew anything else about it. Hmm. And while the Seabolts nor Sheila had heard anything through the night coming from the home, another couple living nearby heard a sound like muffled screaming at about 1.15 a.m. So it's possible they could have been asleep. Hmm. I don't know but if you're 15 you may be up to I don't know yeah maybe she was sitting with the kids or something I don't know now another neighbor who is Martin Smart claimed that a claw hammer had gone missing from his home
1: Hmm. Mm -hmm, mm Hmm.
0: now Justin again who is Martin and Marilyn's son had actually given some conflicting stories of what happened that night At first, he said that maybe he had dreamed of the details of the murder. At another point, he said maybe he actually witnessed them. But under hypnosis, he claimed to have woken up from the sounds coming from the living room while he was sleeping in the bedroom with Rick and Greg. When he tried to figure out what the sounds were, he saw Sue with two men. One with a mustache and short hair and another that was clean-shaven with long hair and both of the men wore glasses. He said that John and Dana then entered the home and began to argue with the men, which caused a font. And then Tina entered the room and was taken out of the back door by one of these men. Hmm. Now, there were composite sketches of these men that Justin described. However, they had been done by a man who sometimes volunteered to help Reno PD. He had zero artistic ability, no training in forensic sketching. Which is super weird. Nobody knows why law enforcement chose him to do these sketches, considering that they had access to forensic artists.
1: But, I mean, I feel like you need at least one of those skills in order to do this. You'd think. Either the ability to draw. Uh Uh-huh. Or the training. Or the training. (laughs) Otherwise, how did he not end up with stick figures? Yeah. Now, there's a sketch,
0: and I can post that. But, like, Yeah. But anyway, along with these sketches, the suspects were described as being in their late 20s to early 30s. One was between 5'11 to 6'2 with dark blonde hair, and the other was between 5'6 to 5'10 with black greased hair. Both wore gold-framed sunglasses. At night? Maybe they were trying to hide their identity. I guess so. I mean.
1: Also, I'm a little impressed that law enforcement did composite sketches based off a kid who thought it might have even been a dream
0: yep that's
1: crazy yep
0: thought about that too well this little community in ketty is small and rumors began to circulate about of the course mar- they did mm-hmm. some claimed ritualistic killings some claimed it was motivated by drug trafficking but these were both dismissed by Plymouth county law enforcement in fact, Sheriff Doug Thomas stated that no drug paraphernalia or illegal drugs were found in the home. A family acquaintance, Carla McMullen, claimed that Dana had recently stolen an unknown quantity of LSD from local drug dealers, but she wasn't able to prove this claim. So, so maybe that. but maybe but who knows. And during all of this, I mean, law enforcement were still trying to find Tina. She's still missing. Oh man. They did a grid pattern search of the area that covered a five-mile radius around the home and was conducted with police canines, but it came up with nothing, no scent, nothing. However, on April 22, 1984, which was three years after the murders, a bottle collector near Feather Falls in Butte County, which is about 100 miles away from Ketty, found a cranium portion of a human skull and part of a mandible. Oh, no. Near the bones, detectives also discovered a blue nylon jacket, a blanket, a pair of Levi Strauss jeans with a missing back pocket, and an empty surgical tape dispenser. Don't forget that... The family was tied up with surgical tape. Yep. When police announced the discovery of the bone parts that they found, shortly after they received an anonymous phone call that claimed that the bones belonged to Tina. Huh. No one knows who it was. And the remains were, in fact, confirmed by forensic pathologists to be those of Tina in June of 1984. However, this call was not documented. And a copy of the call was found in the bottom of an evidence box after 2013.
1: So they were just like, hey, some guy called. Yeah. And.
0: There was a lot of mishandling that didn't come up until after a new detective took on the case. Wow. So. He's
1: really frustrated. He didn't call police directly, right? He called 911 and asked. Like, he, he didn't call the police station. Like, he called 911 and said, hey, those bones you found.
0: Yeah. And to, they have a copy of this, but nobody ever thought to check it out. Like, what?
1: who, who gets a call about, hey, I think those bones might be that missing kid. Just
0: saying. <laughs> and then they don't look into that person. Exactly. So, that leaves us with the question of who did it. Now, in a 2008 documentary, long after all of this, Marilyn Smart claimed that she suspected her husband Martin and his friend John Joe Bubiti, who were responsible for the murders. She claims that on the evening of the murders, she had left Martin and Joe at a local bar at around 11 p.m., and she went home to go to sleep. And at around 2 a.m., she claimed that she woke up to find the two men burning an unknown item in the wood stove. Hmm. She also stated that Martin had hated John, the young boy, with a passion, though I couldn't find out why. Hmm. But there, there's more drama here. According to the Lassen News article that I found from 2018, Martin had lost his job as a cook just prior to the murders, and he had been known to support his family by selling drugs, both during his job and after being fired. Mm so that it was there were some rumors that sue was actually sleeping with martin oh but that she was also trying to talk Marilyn into leaving martin uh because he was ab- abusive he wasn't faithful obviously if she is sleeping with him mm-hmm. uh but could this be why he possibly killed her because i did read somewhere that he was quite possessive over Marilyn. huh Also, a 2016 article from the Sacramento Bee states that Martin had left Keddie shortly after the murders to go to Reno, Nevada. He sent a letter to Marilyn talking about problems in their marriage, asking her to come back, yada, yada, yada. But it ended with, quote, I've paid the price of your love. And now that I've bought it with poor people's lives, you tell me where you're through. Great. What else do you want? Wow. That sounds like a confession to me. Yeah, me too. In an interview in the same year, special investigator Mike Gamberg stated that the letter was "quote overlooked" in the initial investigation, and was never admitted as evidence. How? Well, I did read somewhere that Martin possibly had some connections with law enforcement. Oh, I don't know, and that's why I didn't put it in here. That's hearsay. So maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Gamberg also criticized the initial investigation, saying that a rookie could have done a better job than they did. I feel like I could have done a better job than they did. Yeah. And it's starting to sound like it. Now, also, a counselor that Martin regularly visited would also allege that Martin actually admitted to killing Sue and Tina, but claimed that he, quote, didn't have anything to do with the boys. Hmm. And that he said he killed Tina because she had, quote, witnessed the whole thing and he was trying to just prevent her from identifying him so he told his therapist
1: this and they were just like okay cool they didn't report it to police i I
0: mean i guess i don't know why you wouldn't that sounds oh my god i don't know like all of this is just if any of this is true why doesn't the police know about this right this literally sounds like an admission to me However, also in this 2008 documentary, Sheriff Doug Thomas said that he had personally interviewed Martin and that he passed a polygraph exam and, like, he cleared him. Hmm. So, we all know what how we feel about polygraph exams. Yeah. But.
1: <sighs> Polygraphs are almost useless, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I think so, too. Now, in March of 2016, a hammer matching the description of the hammer Martin had claimed to have lost was found in a local pond. Okay, Sheriff at the time, Sheriff Hagwood, stated that, quote, the location it was found, it would have been intentionally put there. It would not have been accidentally misplaced. Hmm. So, one, Martin, why did you claim that you had a hammer missing if you didn't maybe use it? And well, throw, why would somebody break into his home just to go across the street and kill someone if she had tools
1: at home. And why did he preemptively let police know? By the way, I'm missing a hammer just in case you find it. Um,
0: Because at the time, police noticed that he was giving a lot of information and clues that were like pulling things away from him. Huh. Like, like he was trying to get the attention from him. Gotcha. Unfortunately, by this time, Martin had died of cancer in 2000 and John Bobiti died in 1988. So there's no way to talk to them about it. Make sure, ask him, talk to him, yeah. Yeah. And to this day, the murders have not been officially solved, but in April 2018, Gamberg stated that DNA evidence recovered from a piece of tape at the crime scene matched that of a known living suspect. Oh. Mm -hmm. Now, who that is, I'm not sure, and they probably are not going to be saying anytime soon. I'm not sure if they're waiting to receive test results back. I don't know if they're trying to just figure some other stuff out. Maybe something'll come up soon. I don't know. I don't know. But I'd love to know who that suspect is because I did read somewhere that someone was saying that Marilyn might have had something to do with it. Oh. And I believe she's still alive and remarried. Hmm. I'm not saying yes or no to that. Right. Cuz that again, hearsay. I couldn't formally put that in here. <laughs> right. But Unless there's another idea, I'm going with Martin, because there's nothing else to say that it was anyone else. It was either Martin or someone, like just some random murder. But if that's the case, why not kill the boys in the other room?
1: And why take Tina? And why take Tina? And why was her body found, like, what, 100 miles away? Yeah.
0: Now, I do have some extras, which seem to be a thing I'm doing now, (laughs) where I have a few little tidbits that, like, didn't quite fit into the story. But my shed some lots. Now, apparently, Martin had gotten to an argument with his father and went out to purchase items to make a bomb to try to blow up his father's house. Oh. um, Which kind of, like, gives you an idea. Of the kind of person he is. Yeah, how violent he could be. Now, this is according to Marilyn's aunt, who they had stayed with at some point in Bernie, Oregon, and she learned of the story. Okay. Yeah. Also, Martin had allegedly tried to run Marilyn and one of their sons over in 1980. Uh, and allegedly pulled a knife on her and threatened to cut her. Over what? I don't know. He was abusive. So, but it kind of gives you an idea of what he looks like. Mm. That's a person. Now, I did find a site called dot 28com and it looks to have been written by someone who, in air quotes, knows the case. However, it is a very biased website, and I didn't use any information from it because the way it's written but it is worth looking at just for the mere fact that it's interesting Mm. uh it kind of throws some things out there but it also at the very front of the website it says why did sheila let tina go home to die why did sheila let her family die Sheila was fourteen years old and staying the night with someone. Yeah, that, so mm. yeah, I I immediately went mm, no, but it is an interesting website to look at if you want to take a look. Okay, and maybe gather your own ideas. But but God, so, it's so frustrating that like it is, all of
1: this evidence was right here for them—the call, the the confessing to yeah. his therapist, the letter to his wife—and like. Nothing was done with it. They just forgot about it. They just left it there. They just didn't investigate it. Like yeah.
0: what? No, there are theories, like I said, like he had some ends with law enforcement and maybe that's why, or maybe it's just shoddy police work.
1: I don't know, man. I don't know,
0: but that's it's a horrible story with kind of a good ending, but not really because we still don't have any answers. But like they're, we're so close to yeah, answers it feels like we're just right there and like the police have good ideas and like of course they they can't say anything it's quite a cold case they can't be giving out extra information at this point I don't think Yeah, but I'd really love to see an update sometime soon
1: I hope so if we do get an update we will update you
0: guys of course absolutely